Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Sometimes if, you know, like if somebody's in power and we don't like them, you know, our attitude is we just want to see them crushed. We just want to see them, you know, get rid of them, wipe them out, Lord. Do we ever stop and say, Lord, this is this person that's a problem. Jesus died for this person. You actually love this person. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Daniel chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Brian. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. So this is what they're suggesting. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Man, these guys are schemers. They've thought all of this out. They know Daniel prays. And so this is how we're going to nail him. We're going to get the king to make a decree that no one can pray unless they're praying to him. And then he's going he's gonna to seal it. He's going to sign it. And once he signs it, it's irreversible according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. So remember how we talked about Nebuchadnezzar? So here's, we see, remember the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, he is, as far as the image goes, he is the great. He's the greatest. He's the head of gold. But, but another kingdom will come after you, which is inferior to you. Here's a way you see some of the inferiority of the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was, he was the final word in his kingdom. He was the law. There, there would never have been any way under Nebuchadnezzar's rule to do anything like this. Had they done something like this, he would have just said, forget your law. I'm throwing you in the lion's den. That, that's what he would have done. But now the Medes and the Persians, they have this written into their legislation that once a decree was signed, it was irreversible. It was unalterable. Couldn't be repealed. So King Darius, he put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. So that's an important point, I think, because Daniel is not looking at the law and saying, oh, I'm going to just defy that law. Daniel, this is what he does. This is who he is. 
He's a man who for years and years and years has three times a day knelt down with his windows open toward Jerusalem and prayed. So what he's not gonna do is he's not gonna let this law stop him from doing that. He's gonna keep doing what he was doing. Now, just for a second, just think about what he was doing. He, he got on his knees and he prayed three times a day. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about just how easy it is to, to get in the habit of just sort of praying casually. And we can pray casually. Thank God we can pray casually. We can be driving down the street and we're praying. We can be jogging along and we're praying. And we can be doing anything and praying. But I think that there is a time and a place too to have some really concentrated prayer, some really focused prayer. I know for me, I do pray on the fly a lot. And I'm glad that I can do that. And I'm glad God hears me. But sometimes I think, man, I need more focused time with the Lord. I need more concentrated time. I need, I need a time when there's not something that can distract me that fast. Like my phone vibrating when a text comes through or something like that. Or, you know, if you're driving and you've got to watch the road or whatever. So it, it was just between this passage and something else I was listening to somebody say recently about their own experience in prayer. And they were talking about getting down on their knees and praying. Actually, it was a person who was sharing the story about how when he was a boy, he's an older gentleman now and he's pastoral ministry. His dad was a pastor. He said he remembered he would get up early in the morning on a Sunday and go downstairs to get a bowl of cereal. And as he would pass by his father's office, he would find him there on his knees praying in preparation for his preaching that day. That's what he did. But, you know, even as I heard him telling that story, I was thinking, wow, you know, there is, there's something to that. And so we're all busy and life is hectic. And again, thank God we can pray casually. But I'm feeling just for myself, like I need to have more focus in prayer. And I need to have those times where I just get away by myself. And getting on our knees is not, there's nothing, you know, extra spiritual about that in one sense, but it is a posture of humbling ourselves before God. And I find when I do pray on my knees, I can be more focused. So that's what Daniel did. He did that three times a day. Now, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. So this royal decree, you shall not pray. Now, this was a long, long time ago. But, you know, there are still decrees even in our land that go forth from 
some judges that are decrees you shall not pray. Think of high school graduation ceremonies. The courts have actually stepped into high school graduation ceremonies and threatened with jail time students or faculty who would pray. And especially anyone who would pray in the name of a deity, like in Jesus' name. And this is not anything that just started happening in the last few years. This has been happening for a few decades now. Back in the 90s, I remember so many cases where what, if it was a football game or you know, some kind of a high school event, some atheist group protested that they were praying before the game or something. And then the ACLU came in and the courts came in and the judges said, you can't pray. And I read one, one statement by a judge. And it, I mean, it was pretty chilling, really, because he was threatening high school kids that they would be put in jail if they dared try to pray at their event. And then he actually said at the end of his little warning that if they violated his rule, that they would regret, listen to this, they would regret the day they were born. Wow. Man, sounds like a, Medo-Persian king or something. It was just a judge in Texas who said that. But isn't that interesting? So this, this isn't ancient history. This is, this is current. And, and of course, I mean, there, there are plenty of places in the world right now where it, it is not just a threat. It is a reality that you will be persecuted, jailed, killed, in some cases. So sometimes it becomes dangerous business to be a believer and to be someone who prays. So they come back to Darius. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Now, inadvertently, the king is the one who gave this sentence, not intentionally, but they appealed to his pride and he succumbed to that. And that's how this whole thing got to where it is. And so what's implied in the text is that once the king hears Daniel's name, he understands the whole thing. This was all a plot. And I fell for it. He let his pride get the better of him. 
And so he is distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Determined to rescue him, but was unable to do so. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. But that's great. The king has some faith budding in his heart. And he's, you know, by now he's probably heard the stories, probably heard about the writing on the wall, probably heard about the prophecies regarding Nebuchadnezzar, obviously would have known about the insanity of Nebuchadnezzar. And he knows that Daniel serves his God continually. And he would also have known about the fiery furnace. All these things would have been common knowledge, I think, at this point. So may your God rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. So it's interesting. We don't even know how long into the reign of Darius this was, but obviously some time had passed, enough time for Darius to become fond of Daniel and for a relationship to develop between them. And so at the first light of dawn, king doesn't sleep all night. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Yes. (laughs) This is such a great story, isn't it? It's always a great story. Today I was uh, scrolling, I think it was on Instagram. And, you know, they've got all these stories of people that you don't know or anything, but they they have all these animal kind of things too. I love the animal ones because they're just crazy stuff but it was a lion and a tiger fighting each other. And man, it was so intense. And as I was watching that, I was thinking, these are the beasts that Daniel was in the den with. There's only one way that Daniel wasn't consumed by these lions, and that was God protected him from it. You know, we don't live around lions. That's not an issue for us. Although we do have some mountain lions in some of the local hills, don't we? And once in a while, you hear the crazy story of a mountain lion attacking some runner or some hiker and even killing them sometimes. It's very rare, but it does happen. But in certain parts of the world, lions are a big, big threat. They're a big threat to people. They're a big threat to villages. 
And there, there will be times when lions will actually go on the hunt for villagers. They will raid a village and they will carry people off and take them to their, you know, to their lair and just consume them. So th- these are ferocious beasts. But God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So he trusted in his God. No wound was found on him. And the king's, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius wrote to all the nations, peoples of every language in all the earth. Now, going back for a second to the theories about Darius, um, you know, some seeing that he was placed on the throne by Cyrus and so forth. But, you know, when I look at this, um, this that Darius wrote to the nations, the peoples in every language, um, I, I don't think that Darius was, a, was an inferior to Cyrus. I think that they were probably like, you know, as the Medes and the Persians, they were probably like co regents. And initially, Darius was the king because he writes a decree to the nations, the peoples, to every language on the earth. So he's addressing an audience like Nebuchadnezzar would, which is indicating that he's not uh, like a vassal. A vassal king is a king that's appointed and serves at the pleasure of somebody else. He's, he is a ruler himself. And so he writes out to the people of all the nations, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So here we see the the influence of Daniel as we've already seen how he's begun to influence Darius. And now this seems to take Darius a, a step further in some kind of a, understanding and and a commitment to the true God. It's not quite as intense as Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, but it's not that far off because the the Medes and the Persians, they would have been polytheist or probably more likely dualist. They would have seen like a a great divine power and a a great evil power that were equal in power and battling against each other. But here, Darius is basically acknowledging that Daniel's God is the living God who endures forever. So it seems like there is 
something that's really happened with him. Now, two things. One is, I, I think part of what we should take away from the, all of these stories of Daniel and, and his friends earlier in these pagan courts of these great empires, I think one thing that we should take away is that God has his people in unlikely places. And we need to remember that and we need to pray for those people. You know, sometimes if, you know, like if somebody's in power and we don't like them, you know, our attitude is we just want to see them crushed. We just want to see them, you know, get rid of them, um, recall them, you know, what, however you want to do it. Wipe them out, Lord. Do we ever stop and say, Lord, this is this person that's a problem. Jesus died for this person. You actually love this person. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> Certain people. It's hard to believe that God loves some people, but he does. And I think for us, rather than shouting curses at them and praying for their destruction, we should pray for their salvation. And, you know, one of the things that God does is he sends people into their lives. He puts people in their administrations. He somehow connects them with somebody who's a believer. And that person testifies. That person has a, a divine influence. And again, we need to pray that God will send people into these places and those people that he sends, we pray that, that he would help them to stand firm like a Daniel and to be without corruption and to be a solid witness. And I think the other thing we need to just know is that God has his people in these places. I, I remember back in the days of Saddam Hussein. And Saddam Hussein was a, a wicked ruler. He was a ruthless dictator. He was apparently nice to some people, but to many people, he was, he was a monster. But even in a, a, a government like Saddam Hussein's, there were Christian men who were in position, high positions of power who were seeking to have a Christian influence. And after Saddam Hussein was toppled and all of that happened, you know, it came out, some of the different generals and some of the people that were there close to him but were actually real Christians, true believers who prayed and were hoping that God would work and intervene and, and those, you know, kinds of things. So, so we, need to, we need to remember that. January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. 
For many, the new year brings with it new resolutions for change and the prospect for achieving previously unattained goals. But when the routines of life resume, resolutions rarely last beyond even the first few months of the year. The intent of becoming a better version of ourselves usually ends in failure. But if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate hope. Grace has the power to do what nothing else, not even resolutions, can do. Grace has the power to rescue you from you. Grace has the power to restore you to what God created you to be. Only God's grace has the power to produce lasting change within your life. In his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp provides powerful vignettes on the transforming power of God's grace. That is the grace of God in the person of Jesus, who alone produces authentic, lasting change. This year, rather than resolutions, learn deeply about the transforming power of the grace of God. The book, 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.